Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. I feel a little bit drunk. So, the good thing is you, you kind of need your mind to preach. You don't necessarily need your mind to prophesy or pray. And so, we'll see where this ends up. But um, on that note of Nepal, uh, and I spoke, we spoke a little bit yesterday exchanging testimonies and things, and the man I was in Indonesia with, uh, Jeff Ewan, told me an incredible story. His spiritual father... Uh, went to Nepal years ago, I believe, early 90s, I want to say. He gets to Nepal. It's his first time there. And a white guy from Pittsburgh, PA. He's in Nepal, and he uh, hikes up, shivering up into the mountains. And this, He's in a, a village that's never heard the gospel. And he gets to the top of one of these mountains. He's looking around, and there's someone comes and welcomes him into his home, and he says, oh, this is, I found a man of peace sooner than I thought. He gets into the house, and he welcomes him in and helps, you know, warm him up and makes him food, and, and mostly it was just an enormous bowl of rice, and he sits down, he eats the rice, he's really hungry, and uh, goes to sleep, gets up, and he goes outside of his uh, bedroom the next morning, and he's looking around, and his host is not there. He doesn't really hear anything, and so he opens the door and steps out again uh, outside of the cabin or hut or whatever, wherever he was in. Steps out and looks around, and he sees hundreds of people, like the whole surrounding villages have gathered outside of this place where he was at, and they said, who are you? He said, I'm Mark. And uh, they said, no, but who are you? Who sent you? And he's a little bit confused. And of course, he's going to share the gospel. But he says, why are you asking? They said, because his host stepped to the front and he said, because I put enough poison in your rice to kill a horse. And you're standing here before me. And that you can imagine what that did to break open the place for the gospel. And that has absolutely nothing to do necessarily with my message, but it's just fun. So I'd love to go to Nepal. It's biblical. Amen. You can open to John 6, if those of you who have your Bibles. I'm going to teach not very long this morning because I want to primarily minister. Is that okay? And just pray for, uh, I know, you know, we come to events and I'll tell people, you're going to be impartationed out by the end of it because we're going to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. But I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think, Lord, I, I would, I'd be perfectly fine if you just overwhelmed me by your spirit and your grace and your power every single day. And so there's always more. It's one of our messages we champion. Uh, there's a few things. Um, I, I always forget to do this. Um, I typically, I never even bring product with me most of the time, but my good friend William reminded me of this. There's a few things out there if you want to get them. Uh, I think they'll bless you. One of these is a uh, about five-ish hours, maybe five and a half hours of teaching on the subject of key lessons in revival that's on one of these Nice little USBs that I have out there. People are raising their hands. Um, I'll give it to you. Yeah, come on up. And I, wanna, I know I've, I've done this already, but I want to pray for your whole family 
Before, we're gonna, I'm going to pray for, for everyone here, but you guys don't pay attention to the other instructions I give and just come immediately up to the front at the end, okay? So I can bless you and pray for you. Um, this is another teaching that I did uh, at, uh, if you're familiar with Bethel Church in Redding, California, I was teaching there last year before all the COVID craziness. I'm so tired of COVID. We've got, now we've got the Delta variant. Pretty soon we'll have the United Airlines variant, American Airlines, and the worst of all is kind of come the Evil Spirit Airlines variant. <clears throat> but before all the craziness of that broke out, this was recorded there in our Reading Civic Auditorium. It's called The Power of Inconvenient Christianity. At least that's the title on this. I think every time I teach it, I give it a different title. But it's one of my favorite messages to do, and this is the only teaching of mine where I've recorded it, and it's probably partly due to the exposure because of the platform of Bethel, but I get messages, no exaggeration, every single week of testimonies coming in of healing. And the amazing thing about that is it's not a sermon on healing. And we get to the end, and I'm teaching it in the Reading Civic Auditorium, and uh, I mean, William and Chantel have ministered there. They know the place is just crazy with the level of faith, and um, the spirit just kind of erupts there. Uh, and... I get to the end, and we're praying, and then how many of you have seen any footage of the Reading Civic Auditorium from conferences there? And so it's a big place. The Lord's moving. Things are happening. And, and you guys know, even as the Holy Spirit's moving here, uh, you can look around, and it's sometimes a little hard to tell every, with everything that's going on. You've got, what's, what's his name? Jerry Lee Lewis, a whole lot of shaking going on. You've got that happening. And so I'm looking out. A lot's going on, and I can't see everything, especially extending into the back. The lights are a lot brighter on the top of you. And so I didn't know this, but I get done with the teaching. I go out. They take me out into the hallway. And this girl, 19 or 20 years old, comes running up to me, and she says, look at this. And her friend gets out her phone and is filming her just running up and down the stairs. And at first, I'm like, wow, you're, you're fast. <laughs> and... She starts crying. She says, no, let me tell you what happened. She was sitting way in the back, so I couldn't see her. We're just praying, come Holy Spirit, bless your people, fill them, touch them, anoint them. And in the midst of all of the impartation, there was just this outbreak of sovereign healings happening across the auditorium. And so she's in the back. The power of God hits her. She falls to the ground, and she feels like she's getting electrocuted. She's shaking. Uh, if you want some biblical reference for that, you can look to the prophet Daniel when the angel visited him, and it says that... The hand touched me and set me on my back trembling. So she was on the ground shaking, being electrocuted, and she hears a voice whisper to her and say, daughter, you're healed. So she gets up, and she had a condition. I forget the particular name of this condition that was affecting her brain, uh, but it was it affected her essentially like a, a severe vertigo. And from birth, if she either accelerated or decelerated too fast, especially on an uneven surface, immediately she passes out. And now she's sprinting and running up and down the stairs. And that's just one of, I mean, we had so many blind eyes opening and just the Lord doing amazing things. And so uh, if someone in here is, is really in need of healing, um, I would say especially in need of anything with a similar condition of that vertigo or mind, or I see you raising your, yep, you're, you're full of faith. Here you go. And while she's coming up here, I want to, there you go, bless you, get into, Amen. Glory to God. Just before we get into John 6, uh, how many of you have, have not been here 
so far while William and I have been here this weekend. Can I see hands of those of you who, you're only here now on the Sunday morning. Okay, quite a, quite a bit. Uh, so uh, for the sake of time, I can't go into everything that we've been teaching on, but I think we've, they've recorded at least most of it, I believe. Uh, I know the Knights have had some streaming. I've shared them on Facebook and things. Um, but we've hit a lot of different topics. We've hit some different themes, but there's been the overarching theme that we emphasize so often because of its necessity as we travel and as we minister on the, the reliance on the person of the Holy Spirit and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the main things that we hit on and looked at and examined is just before Jesus, after his communion meal with his disciples, was going to be led to Golgotha and crucified and buried and resurrected and ascended, he tells them explicitly of their need for not just reliance on communication. How many of you know presentation has largely replaced presence within the North American church. Now, the beautiful thing is God's turning the tide on this, but, and there's a lot of reasons, post-Reformation and Luther and Calvin and John Knox and Zwingli and others that came and began to move into a term called Aristotelian synergism, and you had the, the, the influence of Plato and uh, others upon essentially moving people away from the early experiences of the communion with the Lord, the emphasis on hearing his voice, on moving with him that you see throughout historic Christianity from Jesus, from the apostles, Peter, John, and James, and Matthew, and others, and moving into the patristics, and Isaac the Syrian, Ignatius of Antioch, Irenaeus, you, uh, Teresa of Avila, you see this emphasis upon knowing experientially the Holy Spirit. Paul would even say, and I learned this from Dr. Clark, who learned this from Gordon Fee, that Paul's primary doctrine that he would teach was the fact that we would know that we were born again and know we were Christians because of that experiential communion with the Lord. And something happened, something got lost along the way where we began to exchange as a culture that intimacy with God for intellectual knowing about God. And I, I, I always tell myself, I don't want to preach about, just about Jesus. I want to preach the living Jesus. The fact that he is, well, yes, he's historical. Yes, our faith is evidential. But he's not just a historic Jesus. He's not an ancient Jesus. And while the past is important and God cares about that and cares about the conserving of the testimony. He's not just Jesus of the past. Hebrews tells us of Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, from eternity past to the present and into the future. He's eternally consistent. He still sits upon the throne. He's still ruling. He's still living in us, moving through us, speaking through us. He's still reigning. And that comes to us, as Jesus points out, to his disciples just before he's taken to the cross. He says, listen, the Brian Starley translation would be, you guys have entirely missed it if you don't cling to this revelation of knowing the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, is the Spirit of Jesus himself that lives in us. I, I, I so love, we're going to get to spend all of eternity catching this revelation. Amen. That the same Holy Spirit who rose Christ from the dead has quickened our mortal bodies. Which means, to quote from one of my earlier sessions, that in the realm of man, our, 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 our abilities are entirely dependent on what we can do in and of our own strength. But in the kingdom of God, the good news is that, and so this is, this is important to remember anytime the enemy begins to come as the accuser, 
and speak against you and say, you're not qualified. Well, the good news is that it's never about our qualifications. It's about the fact that regardless of where we find ourselves in experience or, or whether we can say, I prayed for thousands to be healed or I've never prayed for anyone to be healed. The only way that we come into the strength of God, regardless of experience, is taking weakness and throwing it at the feet of Jesus. And then like, even if we feel dead, the good news is that he specializes in resurrection. And he's breathing on the church, just like he breathed upon the bones and the vision of the prophet Ezekiel. And we're rising up. But, it, but it, it's, as I said, we're gonna have impartation and I'm not gonna teach too long, or maybe go about 15 more minutes, and we'll have a Thanksgiving miracle. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I just realized I'm quoting the mystics and all, a lot of large words, and I just remembered I'm being translated. <laughs> Forgive me. Forgive me, Nilsa. All right, we're gonna shift gears. We're gonna slow down a little bit. So the, how many of you are believing that we're really on the threshold and on the precipice of revival and a tremendous move of God? It's, and and I, I don't have time to really go into detail largely here, but I don't just know it and believe it prophetically, although I do historically. We see that God is consistently in Scripture and, and our life in the kingdom is a, one of tension. So God is the only one who, who can be this paradoxical being. Para mean, meaning double or two. Doxa, where we get doxology, is glory. Two glories is what our God is at the same time. And so while he does new things, and there's going to be, I believe, a, a great deal of newness in the kingdom and in the experience of his glory that we step into, at the same time, he's changeless. His character is consistent. It never changes. This is why he's still the God who heals. This is why he's not just a historical figure, but a living Lord and Savior. And so out of this nature that he carries that doesn't change, he moves in patterns. And one of them that is eerily familiar, that again, I can't go into a lot of detail, but you can study this out. I may have even taught this earlier this year when I was here. I can't remember. The good news is you probably can't remember either. <laughs> but in 1700s, uh, 1727 in particular, I believe, uh, in the Boston colonies, they were being plagued with smallpox, which doesn't sound like a big deal to us now but it was absolutely devastating to the people. And on the heels of this, they're introduced to, in the midst of the plague and the pandemic, they're introduced to vaccination. And within the Christian community, they come into disagreement and what's known as the vaccination conflict, historically. It, not even 20 years later, following that, and following the, the upheaval and all of those things after the plague and after the vaccination conflict, Jonathan Edwards rises up and the Spirit of God touches him to be able to ignite the first great awakening. How many of you think that sounds familiar? 
to where we are right now. And so that's just one story of, of, of many, many, many. Uh, but we are on the precipice of another great move of God, which is why unlike, I can't say unlike ever before, in our generation, I believe unlike ever before of what we've seen, which is why it is so essential to throw ourselves into and onto the feet of the Lord Jesus and remember, again, that it's never by our might or by our power, but only by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of revival. And while the spirit of religion makes us complacent, the spirit of revival makes us courageous. And so the Lord right now, as we're, as we're leaning into him, leaning into his voice, his strength, his power, I believe there's a holy boldness that's freshly being stirred up upon his people because the Holy Spirit is the greatest antidote to apathy within the church and within the world. And I'm believing for the Lord to raise us up as messengers to sever a spirit of stagnancy upon the church at large. And so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I, I want the spirit to enable us to be not a museum or a monument to history, but a force of momentum and a movement that's carrying the river of God. That's why I love the name of this church, Global River, to affect the world around us. Let's go. John chapter 6, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. Um, And we won't read all of the chapter, but we'll get into it just a little bit here. Starting in verse 1. By the way, I guess I can give a little bit of context for this. This is the only miracle, interestingly, that Jesus performs that's in all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as the gospel of John. It's the only miracle. And I think there's many reasons for that, and we've, uh, you've probably heard a lot of teaching on the context of this, of the things symbolically that Jesus is doing, of course, as the bread of life, and the fact that there were 12 baskets left over for the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, uh, and all of those things. But I, I want to lean into a bit of a prophetic edge of something I believe the Lord spoke to me about this many years ago now, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> uh, by the way, as well, uh, there's a, no, shoot the rabbit, okay. Verse one, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were watching the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. But Jesus went up on the mountain And there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So Jesus, after raising his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, how many of you know Jesus would carry the awareness of where to find bread? He is the bread. He can just find himself. Jesus was saying this to stretch Philip's not only faith in the moment, but to expand his way of thought. As, uh, as this is kind of thematic with, if you, I want to encourage you to go back as you're listening to this to pay attention to William's teaching last night on the power of sanctified imagination. As we think of imagination as fantasy, not realizing this is the way in which we interface with everything in the realm of the spirit. This is what God comes and breathes upon to illuminate things to us. 
verse 6, but he was saying that he was saying this only to test him, for he himself knew what he intended to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough for them, for each to receive just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, now pay attention to that, five, the number five. I don't do this a lot, but it helps with the memory, so I'll say, everybody say five. 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 Barley loaves and two small fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people recline or sit down to eat. Now there was plenty of grass in the place. So the men reclined, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were reclining. Likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So this is why I wanted you to remember the word five, because often it would be very easy to, to mix this story into a second time that Jesus performs multiplication that's only found in two of the Gospels, I believe, in Matthew and Luke, and to conflate them and think they're the same story, but they're two different stories, and one, most scholars believe, occurred just a few months after the other. This was the first time that Jesus multiplies for what most of your headings in Scripture uh, in your Bibles will say, 5,000 men. It was more like approximately 15,000 because in their census, they would only count the man as the head of the household and not count the women or the children. So conservatively, 15,000 people Jesus fed in this account. <clears throat> and this is why I wanted you to remember, to remember the number five, five loaves of bread. Because what was interesting, what the Lord, I believe, began to highlight to me years ago in reading this story and reading the second account is that in this second story, a few months down the line, Jesus multiplies from seven loaves of bread, enough food to feed 4,000 families. Now, have you ever had something that you looked at in, in Scripture? We know everything's significant, but most of us, if not all of us, would have some things that it just causes our heart to burn more than others. Most of us have our favorite books of the Bible, our favorite prophetic voices, our favorite of the apostolic leaders, our, our favorite verses, but sometimes there's something where you're getting into the Word of God and you're reading and you pass over something. Normally, it wouldn't seem that significant to you and you just can't shake it all of a sudden. How many of you have had that? So this was what was happening for me. And so I looked and I went back and forth and what I began to think about in reading into this is oh, thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of analytical. And so... I was looking at this and thinking, wait a second, the first time you do this, for 15,000, 5,000 families, you start with five loaves of bread. The second time you do it, you feed less people starting from more bread. Why would you start? Because me in the natural, I, would, I wouldn't think to go about it that way. I would think 4,000 families, maybe start with five. We take it up a notch, go up to about 15,000, let's start with the seven. But he inverts that. 
in these stories. And I couldn't shake it until I felt like the Spirit breathed on it and, and illuminated into my heart. What I'm trying to teach you in this, Brian, is that often the less I begin with, the more I intend on accomplishing. And I think that this is a prophetic word for us in this hour, which is tying into, hopefully, as I said, I'm still feeling kind of drunk up here. If this is making sense with a lot of other things that I'm trying to tie together in this message, it's just the fact that through the strength of Holy Spirit, through the power of God, our ceiling is no limitation. In our strength with man, nothing is possible, but through him, through his spirit, everything is possible. And I'm believing that God's going to take us where we've never been before. I'm praying, Lord, that we would have a Habakkuk 2.14 of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Think about the vastness of water. As the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of the glory. The knowledge of the glory can only come through the experience of the glory which means that God's gonna show us things we've never seen before. He's gonna take us into territories and arenas we've never stood before. He's gonna take us to higher dimensions than we've ever been before. And that excites me, it really excites me. And it takes place so often in this context of weakness, of lowliness. I don't know about you, but there are some times that I, I, I wake up and, and I, I just think, Lord, this, the, the, the only negative thing about the kingdom and the supernatural and its expansion is that it would be so much better if it didn't involve people. <laughs> and in those times, I just think, thank you that you're God and I'm not, because I'd fumble the ball and I would mess this thing up who knows how many thousands of ways. But in your sovereignty, in your goodness, in your providence, you can take even the most insignificant in the eyes of man and put the smallest amount of your glory into that earthen vessel and change history. And so I'm gonna tell you a few brief stories and then we're gonna pray and I'm think, believing that the Holy Spirit's gonna release a great deal of his energia, his impartation, presence, and it's gonna shake Wilmington and shake the Carolinas. Hallelujah. So I've already spoken of one story about Billy Graham, for those of you who weren't here, just an example of what God can do through weakness. Now, an interesting thing, my wife, stand up, Camden. If they, this is my beautiful wife, for those of you who have not met her, her great, great, two greats or three greats? Two great, right. Great, great grandfather was a man named Harold Earthman. And he was from Murfreesboro, I I always want to say Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro. I do that sometimes, like with the word frustrated, I, I say frustrated. <laughs> he was from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He worked alongside of an evangelist that is largely unknown to most of us by the name of Mordecai Ham. And he was essentially his, like, organizer of his events and evangelistic crusades. And 1934, I believe, there, uh, no, that wouldn't be right. What, I've got too many numbers in my head. He was, he was holding a crusade not far from here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Harold was working with him, and they went to a tremendous effort to put this on. They had a large crowd gathered. Mordecai preached his guts out, gets to the end, gives the altar call, writes in his journals in the 1900s, which I had read before I met Camden, by the way. It was just 
mind-blowing. And then to talk to some of the people that knew them and, and, and the talk around the town of, yeah, the, how frustrated and how much they thought nothing happened. He writes in his journals that the crusade was a complete failure because only one young guy, 16 years old, came forward to get saved. And so what kind of fruit would come for that, from that? Not knowing that down the line, that would be none other than Billy Graham, who was raised up to shake the globe for the kingdom, speaking, uh, I can throw in another Billy, the late Billy Sunday. How many of you have heard of Billy Sunday? He was a professional baseball player who gets saved, fiery, fiery guy. He'd run around the room and preach, and uh, being a former baseball player, he'd even do things like he would often be introduced, and people would be looking like, where is he? And he'd just run from the back of the room and kind of slide, you know, like you're sliding into home plate and get up and start to preach. <laughs> but Billy Sunday was saved out of a lot of alcoholism and depression and addiction when one night there was a uh, preacher at the time when Billy wasn't saved named Henry or Harry Newman, I think. And he is woken up in the middle of the night and hears the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, I want you to go down to the Chicago train station and stand there and preach, preach the gospel. And he said, no. And he goes back to sleep. And the Lord wakes him up again. How many of you are thankful that God pushes our stubbornness out of the way? So he's, he wakes him up again. Henry, go down to the Chicago train, uh, train station and preach. No. He wakes him up a third time. He finally just says, well, what's the worst that can happen? I'm just go do it. And he stands there. He doesn't see a soul. And he's standing and he just preaches a gospel message. He looks around, it's nothing. He goes back home. Years later, like, uh, over a decade in this man's life, he goes and attends one of Billy Sunday's crusades, and he says, I'll never forget how I came to the Lord one night when I was in my sin and brokenness, and I was sitting just outside of the Chicago train station. I began to hear a voice amplified and preach the gospel, and I've never met that man, and I'm sure I don't even know if he knows me, but that's when I gave my life to Christ was that night, and the man sitting in the back is weeping because of what the Holy Spirit did through him. Can I tell you another story? In 1949, one of my favorite revival stories that I always tell my friends that are with me all the time, my wife and William, they're probably sick of me telling this story. But in 1949 in Argentina, which is now known as the land of revivals, at the time, Argentina was considered by many individuals and prominent mission boards to be, in their words, the least fruitful climate in the entirety of the Western Hemisphere to see any fruit for the gospel. And there was a man named Robert Edward Miller who was an American and felt the call of God to go. And he had grown up watching um, Bosworth and others and Amy McPherson. And, and so he feels this call and he goes to his board and speaks to them and they, they told him this of how you're essentially going to have... So this was his sending. This was his prophetic word. Good luck. You're not going to see anything. So he gets there. Now, in the natural, they were right. Everything was right. Argentina was leading in promiscuity, leaning in perversion, and uh, it was Corinth. Think of the church of Corinth on steroids. People in the churches sleeping with each other, fornication, drugs, opioid addiction. People in there, and we think our government's messed up. They had literal 
occult practitioners in their government calling for people to erect monuments of worship to demonic spirits and intimacies. Spiritism and occultism rampant in Argentina. The largest church in the nation at the time was 100 people. So he's there, and he's consistently frustrated. He tries to quit again and again and again, and God just reels him back in, reels him back in, and he decides, I'm going to go on a fast. Now, in hearing this, we know the command of Jesus, when you fast, not if you fast. So God's not contradicting himself in this story. He does call us very much so into literal physical fasting. But there's a lesson in this story. He goes on a fast, and he gets a little bit along his way into this fast, and the Lord speaks to him a, a phrase that to me would really probably irritate me because he said, what are you doing? It's like, what do you mean what am I doing? You've called me here, unless I'm wrong, to your people. Obviously, you see me. You're omnipresent. You're all-knowing. You're omniscient. You're with me. You see and know all things. What do you mean? What am I doing? I'm, on the, I'm fasting because you're not moving. I'm fasting for you to send your spirit to my people, the ones that I'm called to here in Argentina. And then the Holy Spirit gave him this phrase. He said, an empty stomach is not the coin of heaven, but rather the blood of Jesus. Now, he's not contradicting fasting. I believe what he's doing is saying, just in case there's any chance that you would attribute the move of God to what you did to earn it, to twist my hand. See, we're never trying to overcome reluctance on God's end to pour out. We're overcoming our reluctance to go and to ask and receive the bread of the kingdom. Thomas Watson, one of the Puritan theologians, said, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we go before the throne of grace. So it's, he's telling him, it's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's my grace. It's my mercy. And so he's saying, well, I've got to do something. What do you want me to do? And the Lord speaks, call for a prayer meeting. Tell your people to come prepared to pray from 8 p.m. to 12 p.m. And tell them if they're not going to pray the whole four hours, don't come. That would kind of be heartbreaking for me in this situation, like it was for him. And so he is heartbroken, and he says, God, you know, all of us who have been around church and ministry, we, we can attest to typically, now this place is unique. You guys are a rare breed. But prayer meetings are typically not the most attended events. So he says, God, I've already called for a, a, an easy time for my people to come and pray, and there's still no one showing up. Are you sure? Now, God doesn't say anything, indicating he was sure. So he goes, he makes this announcement to his church, and he's joined by, now we see what God does through smallness, such as the 120 on the day of Pentecost. He's joined by three others. We've got a lot more than three. He's joined by three other individuals. An elderly woman, a young woman in her early to mid-20s, and her husband, who was very backslidden into a lot of darkness and brokenness himself. She just drug him there. And... 
he starts praying at 8 p.m. and he's on his face, he's praying, he's crying out. No one's really joining him at all. They're kind of just sitting and staring. So he gets to the end, he's prayed his heart out, he's crying and probably snot's running. He turns around and he's kind of, I like to think of him kind of grabbing everyone by their shirts and saying, did God tell you anything, anything at all? And they all said, no, no, no. And then the young woman says, well, there's this very, very, very slight, possibly, maybe, potentially, (laughs) word from God. But it's really foolish, and I don't want to look foolish by doing it. And he's saying, what is it? She says, well, I saw this picture of me coming up If you were here in the earlier sessions, I spent a lot of time walking through not only words of knowledge and acts of obedience, but a powerful revelation in 2 Corinthians 1.20 where Paul writes that the yes to the promises of God, so in this case of reviving, are spoken by Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. But then the amen, that action to see dunamis come, to see breakthrough come, the amen's declared by you and I to the glory of God. So that yes is hovering, it's hovering over us in this congregation right now. And our life yielded becomes the amen, but it's through obedience that we demonstrate the yielding. And she says, I, I, felt, I felt like I saw myself coming up, making a fist and hitting the pulpit in the center of the room. And he says, well, get to it. No, I'm not gonna do it. So night one, God speaks to her, do this. She doesn't do it. The second night they come and it's the exact same thing. Third night, same thing. Fourth night, he gets to the end and he has a a word of wisdom. And he says, if we all come up with you and march around this together, your pastor was telling me about a moment of before a crusade in Brazil, was it Brazil? Where you did the Jericho march around around one of the stadiums. It's interesting sometimes that you see God do this pattern. He says, if we all come and march around the pulpit together and we'll just sing a song or a hymn and worship and one by one we all hit it, then will you do it? She finally says, okay, okay, then I'll do it. So they come up and this is important. They march around it, you know, and they're singing, they're worshiping and Edward Miller hits it, nothing. Not a goose bump, nothing. The older woman hits it, nothing. Husband hits it, nothing. And the one who heard the instruction, despite feeling foolish, despite not even thinking it was God, again, this weakness that the Lord breathes upon if we simply obey, when she hits it, it was like another outbreak of Pentecost. They heard a literal wind from heaven roll in, knock them all down, and the one who rolled under the pews and began screaming in tongues was the backslidden husband. And that one moment was the ignition of the 49 revival of Argentina that led into Tommy Hicks, that led into uh, later Anacondia and Claudio Frazen and others, and then began spilling over into Brazil. One action, one moment. No PhD required for that. Simple obedience that the Spirit takes and breathes on and you see the strength of God released. One last quick story, and then I'm gonna pray. 
because I want to have not only some things of history, but as I said, he's not just a God of history. He's a living and active Lord and Savior. And so this is not a, an, an ancient revival story or anything like that. This is one of my stories. And I've shared several, I believe, if you go back and listen to the other earlier sessions. So let, let this build faith in you from what you can see when you leave out of these doors. I'm thankful for what God's going to do here. I'm thankful for everything he does in our conferences. But the most amazing things I see him do, especially in evangelism, are not within Christian settings. It's in darkness or it's in mundane things and mundane moments, grocery shopping, when you just get those gentle, gentle nudges. Do this. Even in your weakest moments, in the moments where you feel the most lowly. Even in the moments, although we want to attain and obtain the principles of faith and abide by them, even in the moments where you feel my faith is nowhere to be found. I used it all up. Uh, 2017 or 16, I forget, I was traveling. William and I both traveled as interns before coming into a role of itinerant ministry with Dr. Randy Clark. And uh, I don't know if this was your experience, William. William has a little bit of Randy's anointing of supernatural energy that I don't have. So maybe this wasn't quite the same for you. But for me, as amazing of a time as it was, it was the most exhausting time ever. I mean, every trip... It was telling myself, this is an, a level of tired I didn't think was possible until the next trip. And so while we're, uh, I'm traveling with him, we had one of our conferences at the Ark, uh, the same place where we, when I told the story earlier of how Randy and I met and the healing of his three herniated disc in the neck, the same building. We were having a conference, and this was a, a, a year or two down the road from that previous story. We're there, and we prayed for... Uh, several hundred people for healing and everything and we throughout the event there and we're in meetings and meetings and everything we get done and I'm wiped. I take Randy home. I go to my home which was a little like apartment in more of the inner city of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the time. This was late. This was now after COVID everything's closing at 8 p.m. This was back when things stayed open a little later but most things would close after midnight. And so this was after midnight, somewhere between 12.15, 12.30 in the morning. And I get home, and I'm, I'm going. And I'm already, as I'm walking up to the door, I'm basically already praying in tongues and worshiping. Thank you, God. That I'm going to get to sleep the next 15, 16 hours. And I'm, I mean, I'm being raptured. I'm, I'm ecstatic that I'm just going to get sleep before we're going to Europe two or three times. And so I'm putting my key into the door. The second, this is why I say pay attention to the gentle nudges, pay attention even in weakness, even if you don't feel it, trust in his voice and watch what God does through obedience, despite what you feel in interiority. So I put my key into the door and the second, it goes into the door, the Lord speaks to me and he says, Brian, stop what you're doing right now. Turn around and go across the street to Aleko's. Aleko's is a sandwich and hoagie shop. I go there all the time. Um, I believe in the Lord's mandate in the book of Acts where he says, rise, kill, and eat. I'm a, I'm a carnivore. I'd go there almost every day and get a chicken parm sub. So I knew Aleko's was closed. I was familiar with them. And I said, Lord, they're closed. And he said, turn around and go across the street to Aleko's. And I said, no. 
I'm a man full of faith. No, Lord. And he says, yes, son, turn around and go to Alecos. No. Lord, I've, just, I've been serving Randy so well. I've been doing all of these things. You're a spirit. You don't know what it's like to be this tired. And finally, after a few minutes of arguing, he says, yes, son. I say no one last time, and then it's silent. Quick nugget, you never want the, that silence in this sense. No matter what you're feeling, if you ever get that, no matter how much you don't want to do it, just turn around and go about doing it. So I turned around, dragging my feet, exhausted, and wiped my eyes. I get over to Aleko's. I'm standing on the steps. It had just a few little steps, and I'm standing there. The chairs are up on top of the tables. The signs flipped around. The lights are off. And I'm saying to God, I told you so. <laughs> They're closed. What am I doing here? Parallel to us, about just, about, I don't know, two or three, a few blocks down, is a bar. It was actually a pretty known in the area gay bar called Stallions. And <clears throat> I was there. Um, and as I'm standing in front of Alecos, all of a sudden, six men come out of Stallions, very drunk, not like me right now, but physically intoxicated, not new wine. And they're singing off key, you know, they're kind of, they're doing what you do when you're in that state. And uh, they're kind of wandering, like I don't know if they were trying to find their cars, or it's pretty much just me and them there. And it's almost like a movie scene or something. I'm like under a little street light, it's flickering. And uh, so they come stumbling out, and I'm just in my mind mentally thinking, blinders up, I don't want to talk to anybody right now, I don't want to talk to them, I'm exhausted, and I said, technically, you told me, come here to Alecos. I did that. That's what you said to do. Now I'm going to go home. I tried to, I, I, you know, it's, it's a bad idea to try and outsmart God. And so I turned around, and I made it a few steps back in the direction of where I lived. And then I hear this from calling out from behind me. Hey, pretty boy. Hey, cutie, over this way. Woo! And so I, I think, I, I'm, if I remember correctly, I think I literally physically stopped and dropped my head into my hands. Lord, why? I've told you I'm exhausted. I've told you I don't want to talk to anyone. I've just prayed for so many people at the conference. I especially don't want to be hit on at 12.30 in the morning. But I turned around and just walked over and I started a conversation with them. And I said something like, did you guys have a good time at the bar? And one of them said, yeah, we had a great time. And I'm standing there. Now, one of the ways that we walked through briefly on receiving words of knowledge, and one of the ways that I'm have to, I have to give a warning to you on this, because it's going to start happening with you. It starts happening everywhere I go, and especially when I tell these stories. The sad thing is, maybe, depending on where your emotions are at in this gift, God's going to do it whether you want him to do it or not. And 
it's one of the scarier ways that words of knowledge can come. This is where the warning is there, because they can come literally when you do not plan it, they shoot out of your mouth. Many of you have probably already experienced this in simple ways, even if you call up a friend and you're talking to someone, you find yourself just saying, hey, what about this thing you're dealing with right now? Where did that come from? How many of you have had something like that? It's gonna increase. And now why that's scary is when it's happening, you're like in the matrix. You're slow motion, you don't plan it, you're seeing the words, you want to grab them and cram them all back in, and it's too late. You don't process it in your mind. And so I looked at one of the six guys, and I said, how many shots did you have to have before the pain in your L5 went away? That's how I felt. And so I was like, whoa, <laughs> wasn't planning that. And normally, if you're in settings like this, you get a lot of very humorous responses. You know, are you a psychic? Jedi, what's going on? I'm kidding about the Jedi. So, he's, they're all so drunk that it just goes over his head that I wouldn't know this about him. And so I think, I, honestly, I kind of thought I was off the hook. And so he goes on to say, well, I normally have to have this much and this much and my medication's running out and it's this degenerative spinal condition and the pain's getting worse and I have to have a surgery that I can't afford and I, um, I'm doing this and I'm having to try and numb the pain and he's kind of going rambling on. And one of his friends, all of a sudden it clicks for him. He wouldn't know that. So he pushes his way over to the front and he says, hey, are you a cop? And I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a cop, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I become like Porky Pig. I'm like, bah, 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 bah. I'm trying to talk my way out of this. And so they get pretty agitated by this and they're all of me between the bar and the street light. And we're outside of, you know, it's, it's a, like a nightclub. So music's going, I'm kind of looking in there like, can someone save me? They don't see me, they don't hear me. Um, and I'm looking and I'm wondering, what, what's gonna happen to me? Lord, you got me into this, get me out of this. I'm going into emergency ministry prayer, which is alternating between tongues and help. <laughs> and all of a sudden, sovereign, like in this, I couldn't have felt more weak or incapable in the moment, but God began to just drop one word after the other after the other. For them, healing was breaking out. I only remember one because it was the most pronounced because I felt this rush of the Holy Spirit turned, pointed at one of them, and I said, you are not a homosexual you're suffering from tremendous depression and loneliness because of what happened to you when you were six years old at the hands of your father, and you've come into this community to find a place of healing and hope and acceptance, and you're not gonna find it here because the only place it's available is in the arms of Jesus. And he begins crying and weeping, and we felt the fear of the Lord just boom like a blanket. Probably the strongest I've ever felt it, at least in ministry to others. And he's crying, all of them begin crying, and I pray for them, lead them to Jesus, have them lay hands on each other to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were outside of stallions. And it's been one of the most amazing things, especially evangelistically, along with that story I told you of getting to speak to the bikers. How many of you remember, were, yesterday were here when I told the story about the bikers? I forgot uh, an important detail. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen. I forgot an important detail of that story. I don't know how I forgot this. Next, yell at me or something for next time if I'm, if I'm forgetting. My wife is the most important voice next to the Holy Spirit. So remind me. And I left out this detail of the story. So I'm praying for them, lead them to the Lord. I'm t telling them about churches in the area. There's this biker church, I said, somewhere outside of Lancaster or something like that. And 
they said, do you know who we are? And I said, no. And they said, um, I don't think I'm legally supposed to say this, but they said, we're the, we're the warlocks. And I said, go back, because we're all emotional. You feel, you know, your faith in that moment feels supercharged. So I said, go back and tell this to all the warlocks what Jesus did for you. And I get back to our town home, and I sit down, and I had my laptop still open from doing seminary, and I said, I should Google them look them up, and what I didn't know, what God left out, was that this is a criminal gang that is on FBI databases, don't approach them, may kill you on sight. Even that some people on our staff at Global, that were former police officers, had run-ins with these guys, and they're like, what in the world were you thinking? I'm gonna wrap up here, or I'm gonna keep going and going and going, and it won't be good. The pastor won't have me back. So. I, I, I'm just, I don't even know what to say exactly in closing because I just feel the presence of the Lord here. I begin to feel it really start to roll in in the last few minutes, even more pronounced. And I just want to pray for you. I'm, I'm excited for everything that's already happening, everything that's happening through the miracle of the way this tent was provided, what God's doing there, the connections with Toronto, and uh, what you don't know as well is we just recently got connected with the Greens, recently connected with Kate and Duncan in Toronto, and we're going on a retreat with them in February for, anyway, um, God's moving. He's moving in a really pronounced way in this time and this season to revival. And it's critical that regardless of how incapable we might feel in these moments, that we throw ourselves at his feet and we just say like Mariah Woodworth Etter, one of the powerful prophetic apostolic voices, and especially in healing ministry and signs and wonders in the 1840s and 50s. And she says, talking about her experience of feeling so inferior because she was born in an immense poverty, illiterate, when God apprehended her. And so she said, I just simply came to him asking him to give me the power that he gave the Galilean fishermen to anoint me for service. This is the only thing we have to pray. And she says, I came to him like a child, asking for bread, and I looked for it. And her closing remark was, God did not disappoint me. And so I want to specifically speak into, before we pray, and break any fear of man, any fear of disqualification in the natural, any fear of disappointment, any fear that if I step out, God will not use me. I'm not a Dr. Clark. I'm not a Heidi Baker, I'm not a Catherine Coleman, I'm not an Apostle Paul, well neither was he. And most of us are far ahead of the game than him because he was in, a, 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 in his time ISIS member when God gripped him and used him to be arguably the greatest and most influential of the apostolic voices in the New Testament. So let the Lord remove any seeds of that from you and trust him. And I'm believing and, and praying for the greatest fruit in this hour, in this time, in this season. It's, 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 it's every, everywhere we've been going in the past year, traveling around, because we're full-time itinerants, and we've talked about this everywhere we're going, consistently with pastors and leaders that we're speaking to, they're saying, it's the craziest thing. We're having more warfare than we've ever had, but we're having more glory than we've ever had. And so, let's stand together. I want to, uh, I, I will, um, and, and, and you guys that I, I mentioned, you guys are, go ahead and come up. And 
lead by example a little bit. And remember how we lined up to pray for impartation? Come and line up that way and space out a little bit just so everybody else can. You guys watch how they line up up here. And that's how when I call some people forward, how I want you to line up. And we're going to take a little bit here and minister and wait on the Lord. And if I receive any words of knowledge and things like that, or our team does, we'll flow in that direction. Uh, but, I, but I really want to hear you guys turn around. Yeah. Just, just like we did, just like we did uh, before. And we're going to pray, and we're going to wait and honor the Holy Spirit and his presence. And I want you to just lean into, in your heart, expectancy for God to begin to breathe and birth even more fruit for the kingdom and for the gospel and for his glory than ever before in this time. I don't say that to, I, I, I don't say things like this to get to have, to be invited back. I don't say things like this because I want to hype people up. I say it because God is moving and I think we're going to see him move unlike ever before in our present generation in the days ahead. And I'm just saying, God, thank you that you've already drafted me into the army, but put me on the battlefield. Put me in. Put me in. There's none of us that are called to be bystanders in the kingdom. Whether, you're, whether you stand behind a pulpit or not, pulpit doesn't equate to presence. Microphone doesn't equate anointing. All of you, 1 John 3, 8, have been given an anointing from the Holy One who were born again. And we're just going to pray that God would breathe and ignite that and stir up the gifts of the Spirit. So, as we're leaning in, I want you to close your eyes, those of you who are here, and just in your heart, freshly surrender. Say, as the prayer of the late John Wimber, God, would you just make me a coin in your pocket, and you get to spend to me any way that you want, whatever you want to do, in using me for your glory, for your kingdom, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Now, as we're waiting, as I'm going to pray in just a moment, because we haven't prayed yet, and God's already here so much, and we haven't even prayed. Pay attention to, if you're not familiar with this, heat that will come on your body, tingling, feelings of deep peace, calmness, weightiness on your head, your shoulders, pressing you down, shaking, trembling, feeling like hands and parts of your body are going to sleep other sensations, things that you can tell are not normal, especially eyes fluttering, tears, weeping, heart beating rapidly. These are just signs that God is freshly stirring up graces and anointings. And I'm believing that out of these moments with him, we're going to see the greatest fruit that we've ever seen come out of the Carolinas. And, 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 and that it will spread globally. I'm believing that, that what we've seen in Wales, what we've seen in Cane Ridge, what we've seen through Edwards, through Finney, through the Wesley brothers, what we saw through Seymour would be a drop in the bucket. So come, Holy Spirit, even more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're so present, that you always so faithfully demonstrate your power to heal and to save and deliver.